Welcome back for episode two of Gravel Trap Indie. I'm Christina. I'm Justin, and we just had our first or our final oval race of the season. So of course we'll be talking about what happened at Gateway. We'll talk a little bit about some news that has hit the airwaves especially driver news and some spicy quotes from this past weekend. That's right. Once again, uh, we're seeing some interesting names, interesting drivers uh, taking some familiar seats. And then we look ahead to Portland, one of the last two races of the season. I will be in attendance and we look forward to it. We are back. We had a lovely race weekend in the final oval of the year. Yeah, coming off a gateway, uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway. Um, not as good of a race as I thought maybe it was going to be. So I was a little disappointed there. I was excited that we were finally going to be introducing the alternate, uh, red sidewalled fire zones to an oval. And ultimately it just seemed like most teams just wanted to throw those tires on and get it over with. It really surprised me when I first started watching ovals that it was one type of tire, because it feels like the majority of the, all the series I watch, except for formula E because they're environmentally friendly, but they all use a variety of tires. And it kind of surprised me that ovals don't do that, like that they do just bring the one type of tire. Yeah, it starts with a safety thing. And it's it's just always been that way because of the the high loads that that go through the tire and that the, you know, all four tires have to deal with that ovals. Um, IndyCar doesn't really go to too many ovals where you're not dealing with with very very intense loads uh, throughout the course of the race. In in NASCAR, for example, it's still one compound tire throughout the race, but a NASCAR Goodyear will bring different compounds to each type of track. So they'll have a short oval compound, they'll have a, a super speedway compound that is very very sturdy for places like Daytona and Talladega, where a blowout would be catastrophic. Um, so they have they have different options in NASCAR. As far as I know, IndyCar only has one oval compound uh, that they run um, at at all of their ovals, um, and and NASCAR doesn't differentiate. You know, compounds as a fan, you don't know which one they're running, um, but it is known that they do have different compounds, even though they don't say, "Oh, this is a soft or medium or a hard or whatever." Um, I believe that that all the oval tires for IndyCar are the same, whether you're at Indianapolis uh, or if you're at a short track, um, you know, like uh, um, like Gateway uh, or, or Iowa uh, is the one that that I was thinking of. I believe it's it's the same compound. I, I could be wrong on that, but tire that they use, if it is different compounds, they, they don't really talk about it too much. And it certainly isn't a different compound as far as the fan is concerned. It's just, it's one black sidewall uh, for the whole race. There's no regulation that states that you have to come in and use an alternate tire at all. Um, so this was a first, not only for IndyCar, but really for oval racing overall um, in terms of having to use a second alternate tire at some point, uh, you know, during the race. Yeah. I mean, I really like the idea of alternate tires, but it might just be the fact that I started out watching Formula One and <laughs> you, you have so many tire choices that you really it takes ages to wrap your head around it if it's not properly explained. But the other thing that really got me when I started to watch ovals was just how specific their setups can be. Like it's a whole other world that you're stepping into because they have the one side, the inner line that's going to be having that extra weight, that extra load compared to the upper outer tire line. Like 
that's really interesting to me, like learning all of that new vocabulary about um, like staggering and having the different sized tires and all that. that was really interesting. I really want to go to an oval race just so I can look at the cars and like see how wonky they look when they're not on the side. It's really cool to see these cars in oval setups with the different bodywork. Um, and you can really tell uh, how, you know, which teams are really trimmed out and which teams might be, you know, looking for a little more downforce here and there. Um, a little, you know, quarter inch carbon fiber wicker, either on the front wing or the rear wing or something like that can make uh, such a difference and add up to hundreds of pounds of downforce when you're going 200 miles an hour, you know, through a corner. Um, so this, you know, the ovals really is where the engineering side really comes into IndyCar. Like we discussed on the first episode here, um, all the chassis are the same. The engines are, you know, the same specs and by and large, they're, they're the same engine, even though they're built in two different places by two different manufacturers at this point. So on ovals, especially every little tweak that you make to the car, and there's, there's millions of combinations between suspension and arrow and everything else that you can have to set these cars up. And it's really exasperated on these ovals and especially these short ovals like gateway um, where the racing is so tightly packed and you're not only going to have to set your car up for, you know, long straightaways, but for tight corners, for banked corners, uh, for flatter corners and gateway has all of that. And you're going to be running in traffic pretty much all day long. So you can't just trim your car out and, uh, and say, okay, you know, we're going to plan on running at the front. Like, you know, maybe Joseph Newgarden or Scotty McLaughlin were planning on doing, um, you really have to account for running in traffic as well. So this ovals for me is where the engineering shines. And as a fan, I think that that's really something that, uh, that, you know, they can kind of dive into and really appreciate oval racing more from that standpoint. The thing that made me helped me at least appreciate the finesse and the absolute control that these drivers have in ovals is the fact that they use the 360 cameras and you can see every single like minute movements that every single driver makes and it can actually they, they can zoom in on any angle of the car hence 360 and show you right from the side how close they're getting or how close it is front to back and you also get some of the really cool shots of watching the car approaching from behind like those 360 cameras bring me so much joy. I'm mad that we don't have on boards for every single car. That annoys the heck out of me. I want that to be fixed like yesterday. But yeah, watching those 360 cameras and seeing them doing ovals like that, mind-blowing. Love it. Worried that we were going to lose, um, you know, this wheel-to-wheel racing that you see at ovals when there's, there's literally just millimeters uh, between tires and there's even contact you know, between these cars on ovals, which you would think would end catastrophically, but it's so minute contact that they know exactly where they can make contact. And and they're, they're never trying to make contact, but they know where they can kind of push that limit. And if the car does start to drift up the track a little bit, they know, you know, where it's safe to put that car to do that. And if contact is made, you know, it won't end up in a horrible crash. I was worried that we would lose a little bit of that with the arrow screen because it is harder to see out of those, um, especially out the side with some of the refraction that you might get or some of the reflection that you might get looking through that that uh, polycarbonate glass, you know, rather than just open air and being in an open cockpit and being able to really turn your head and, and see exactly, you know, how close um, to a car you are. 
but we didn't lose any of that with the aero screen and the the 360 onboard cameras um hopefully we'll have those in every car um i believe that it's a goal of of penske entertainment to to make that happen now that you know he's had a couple of years uh, really a few years now of owning the series um so hopefully we'll see that but it really does give an appreciation that even with the aero screen uh and and limited vision a little bit uh, more so on the ovals these guys are willing to take so many chances um even at you know 230 40 miles an hour like we see around indy and uh certainly 200 plus like we see around gateway it's 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 pretty cool absolutely i will say though the one thing i dislike about ovals is that they sometimes give me a headache from watching all of those sponsors whip by really quickly depending on the camera angle and having them change constantly i get such a bad headache sometimes like it's not all tracks this one was fine it's a blur but some yeah it just mm-hmm. it whips right past you and then you're like i need to stop watching for a second oh at at an oval or even at a track like like long beach where on the on the front straight you can walk right up to the fence and if you don't track the cars with your head if you're not following them down the straight you really all, all that you see is just colors yeah. you know yellow um a lot of pink these days green blue and it's all just like you don't see any details of the cars it's just a blur and it's really uh pretty neat oh, i so want to go on an oval i mean i've said it a couple times now but the idea that you can stand in one place and see the entire track that's amazing like yes you do have to follow the one car but mm-hmm. at least you can follow it all the way through a couple laps like that's phenomenal to me i love that and Okay, there was one really satisfying shot from the broadcast this weekend where I think it was at a restart, but all of the cars were close together in one single file line and you watch them go up through a corner, down the bank and down along the line in this like perfectly synchronized train of a snake. It looked so cool, Mm -hmm. so satisfying to see them all moving like that together. And if one driver messes up in puts a wheel wrong or, you know, gets too low onto the apron and that angle of attack changes. And all of a sudden, you know, the rear of the car wants to oversteer and kick out, or if they get too high, maybe up into the marbles, if there's still some left, you know, on a restart. Um, and then they get loose and, and either go up into the wall or come back down into the pack that can be catastrophic and that can take out, you know, so many cars all at once on those restarts. So they have to be careful, but the restarts are of course the easiest spot to make up positions, um, especially on an oval. So it's, it's really neat uh, how the drivers have to calculate all of that in real time um, and be spatially aware of not just, you know, a car on their outside or their inside, but ahead behind them, they're looking at blocking, but they're also looking at overtaking. Uh, They might have to be managing tires and fuel at different, you know, stages of the race. So it's, it's really pretty fascinating uh, if you know what to look for. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of cars turning left. They All ovals are always left-sided, right? Like there's no right-handed ones. Right. Mm-hmm. Why did they choose left-handed? Like I don't, I don't know why initially they chose <laughs> left-handed. It does go back to stock car, to stock car racing and, you know, uh, Darlington, um, which I think is actually coming up for NASCAR this weekend. But I think that was like the first like speedway. Uh-huh. And it's... Um, my guess is that it was stock cars and in, in the U S that's where stock car, you know, stock car race was born right here going all the way back to the moonshiners. Right. So you always sit in, in your car in a stock car. Cause that's what it was. You would race your car stock. 
So you would sit on the left-hand side. So I think around an oval, when you're pushing, you know, these speeds, if you were up on the right-hand side, the G-forces, and I mean, I don't know what G-forces they had back in the, you know, 1900s or whatever around Indy, for example. But, you know, it would it would pull you, you know, I think uh, a little bit more to the right-hand side of the car yeah. um, if you were constantly turning right in a left-hand drive car. You, so sure. that would be my guess. That would be my guess, just why, you know, why left was decided. Um, I don't know for sure. That would be kind of a fun one to, to find yeah, out. Like why? Um, and really <laughs> dig into the, the history of oval racing and um, why that was decided. But that would be my guess is mm-hmm. that, you know, you just drive on the left-hand side of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be fun maybe to run an oval in reverse and uh, talk about an engineering challenge that that would well, be. Yeah, like, especially because these are single seaters. They're centered anyway. So in theory, yeah. it should be fine for them to do right or left. Just switch your setup. Turn your engineering notebook upside down and then you have a whole setup for it. It's perfect. Maybe it's in, Aust- maybe it's in Australia. <laughs> it would thing. be easy. They'll go to the right. It's a hemisphere thing. It's like yeah, the toilet. Yeah, we should ask, uh, we should ask Scotty McLaughlin, <laughs> who, uh, who wasn't actually too thrilled coming out of this race, I, I believe, with a uh, with one of his counterparts out there on the he track. He is nothing but spicy quotes this weekend. He's involved in both of the spicy quotes we have. So starting off, we have <laughs> we have Will Power being described as steamed after crash avoiding teammate. So essentially McLaughlin got too low down on the apron and lost control. And then Will Power had to take avoiding action, slid higher up and had a nose to nose collision with Erickson. And so that's why you saw Erickson driving his kind of Franken car that kind of looked like his and Paiu's had a child. Um, you know, it they had to use what they had on hand. And what they had on hand was Paiu's American Legion parts. So this is Willpower just giving an absolutely phenomenal quote, as always. The highlight of the article is him saying, some dumb bleep down the apron spinning. And of course, it was his teammate McLaughlin. Yeah, that was that was funny to see. I mean, it was it was uh, an incident that that happened um, in in practice actually because Saturday was was almost all washed so out. So much rain, but they still had to have a practice session because they weren't going to have that was going to be the only practice running that they were going to have. Um, and IndyCar uh, on on some ovals, they also do what's called highline practice where drivers are forced to only run the high line and that's to, to lay some extra rubber down in that session so that so that that high line comes in um, a little quicker during the race and that so we can actually get some passing up there um, and it doesn't become so treacherous early on. So that that running, especially that high line running was was really crucial to have good racing throughout the weekend. And uh, in this this you know crash happened, um, in practice when the teams run a very tight schedule because of, of rain and everything anyway. And uh, yeah, Scott, Scotty McLaughlin uh, made a mistake and spun on his own down to the infield grass and didn't take too much damage himself. Um, and then of course, Will Power's right behind that. And we saw it in that wreck. As soon as Power had to break and get up onto that high line before it was properly rubbered in, especially with some marbles up there, he lost total control of the car big hit on the wall, spun right down, right in front of Marcus Erickson. Um, and it really wrecked, you know, two very, very good race cars that would have been in contention for the win. Uh, most likely if it, if it wasn't for that crash. 
Yeah, it's, I know it's bad, but <laughs> if there's any time a driver is going to get riled up, I'm always so excited when it's Will Power because he just, he brings the drama and I like it. He just, he puts out phenomenal quotes. He does the double bird. Like he's, I feel like he's quickly just weaseling his way into being one of my favorites. He's been a favorite of mine for years. And that's exactly why. Um, I mean, going all the way back to, uh, he had a quote way, way back when he was racing Dario Franchitti for a championship one year. And he said, I always race Dario clean and Dario always races me dirty. And it's just one of those things that just lives <laughs> in IndyCar lore because it wasn't necessarily true. Both were, you know, really at, at the top of IndyCar at the time. And they're such strong competitors, but for willpower to be, you know, out there still doing it today, it really just shows how, how much of a raw personality he really is in the sport. And I think that it, it, it really is refreshing for fans to see somebody who's not just a, a corporate sponsorship drone, um, you know, who's always going to say the right thing and, you know, always going to talk about we and us and the team and the car. And uh, no matter what happens, oh, you know, it really sucks for our guys. We had such a strong Verizon Chevrolet this weekend. And, you know, no, Will Power is going to come out and he's going to say, you know, yeah, some dumbass spun down on the grass. And he doesn't care if it's his teammate who's uh, in the next garage over. And that's refreshing. Very. Gotta love the unfiltered moments. And our other quote now is also involving McLaughlin, but this time he's the one who said it. Well, yeah, there was um, the incident on track, McLaughlin and Malukas very late in the race, in a part of the race where you are racing for a win. Um, and obviously, Scotty McLaughlin really wanted to to win that race. You know, be intent to uh, to possibly, you know, race for a seat next year. Um, I think that he will have a seat next year. It just depends, you know, is it going to be a top seat of post-race, Malukas on the podium was actually confronted by Scott McLaughlin and they had a little confrontation and Malukas said about it. He came to me at the podium and said something about it. I don't know if he's like oppressed by it. I don't know. I think he got beef from that. We had a tap. I managed to save it. I guess he did as well. From my standpoint, if you squeeze somebody down on the inside, what else are you going to expect? I can only go onto the curb so much. And then in reaction to that, that was what Malukas said in regards to the incident. So he's saying that he was squeezed. And in response to that, McLaughlin was asked, is there any beef with Malukas or is it all good? And McLaughlin simply replied, beef. Beef. So, of course, this is going to be a this is going to be a meme, <laughs> you know, heading into the final two races. I love it. You just say just beef. That's all that he had to say in that moment. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, two Penske drivers from uh, from the land down under, you know, really kind of coming out of Gateway pretty peeved, but for different reasons, but both being involved in incidents. So this is going to be, you know, I think something to watch whenever Will Power is upset. Um, he kind of does seem to carry it race to race with him. Oh, he's a grudge um, guy. Yeah. When he did win a championship. <laughs> oh, he big time. Big time grudge guy. And when he did win a championship, he actually attributed it to saying, you know what? I don't need to finish first every single race. I can finish second, third, top fives, top tens. And he found some consistency there and it led to a championship for him. Um, his, his, his most recent one, actually. Um, but for, for McLaughlin, you know, I don't think that he really 
has figured that out about IndyCar yet. He comes from a very competitive world of Australian supercars where it's wheel to wheel. There's a lot of contact. Um, you're, you're just kind of very used to that race to race. And those are closed wheel cars. So it's a lot safer. They run on a lot of street circuits. They don't run ovals at 200 plus miles an hour. So you can get away with a lot more in a supercar than you can in one of these Indy cars. And I think that, you know, McLaughlin really realizes that. But in my opinion, what happened at Gateway, Malukas had a run. I think it was on the 60. It was on one of the Meyer Shanks, uh, one of those pink cars that take up half the grid these days, it seems. But uh, Malukas had a run on a car down into a corner. Um, he he had the draft. He wasn't going to lift. He was going to make the move to the inside of McLaughlin. And this, you know, ended up being for a podium position. So, of course, you're going to make that move. I don't think that McLaughlin expected him to be there because he was coming up so quickly. And I think that that's where McLaughlin got caught off guard. And in my opinion, sorry, Scotty, I got to disagree with you. I thought that the three turned down on the 30 um, and did force him to the bottom of the track a little bit. And I think that McLaughlin, you know, really exaggerated um, kind of in protest feeling that he was kind of driven down uh, inside of, but in reality, absolutely a racing incident, two great cars for the weekend going for the win. Um, and really, you know, two drivers uh, who, who really needed to pick up some good points as we enter uh, the, 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 the final few races here. Mm-hmm, because the championship fight is still a little alive. There's only 74 points splitting them, which Technically speaking, it's still possible that Alex Payu won't win, but realistically he will win, which if it happens in Portland, I I won't be angry about that cuz that'd be fun for me. What's what's your what's your prediction? Are we are we going to see it happen in Portland? Oh, I don't think so. I think it'll stay alive until the championship, quite frankly. I gut feeling on that especially because Dixon is having that little bit of a run of good performance. He's got the two wins in a row. I feel like that's lit a fire almost where it's like, yep, they've got the good thing going and it's going to keep on going almost. That's, that's what I'm feeling. I'm going to Portland. So that's why I'm excited about it. I'm also excited because I've been to that track before, but it was for formula E and they only took over like a short stretch of the track. They're operating on mm-hmm. such a smaller budget than IndyCar. Whereas with this one, it's you're going, I'm going to be going over the entire track. So very excited to feel the difference of like the different series going to a different track. But as far as IndyCar goes, okay, I'm also excited for the difference in Toronto because in Toronto, the paddock was indoors, which was nice because it had air conditioning, but it was also horrendous because you're breathing in all of these fumes from all of these cars so you know and just them working on the cars not them running the cars but it smelled like a it smelled like a garage so very excited to be outdoors fully for this one and i like the layout of it like it's a lot of long straights a lot of high speeds on this one it races really well for indycar because you're you basically get as much out of the lap as you're willing to put in. And there's, mm-hmm. there's really no runoff areas. If you, if you dip a wheel off, you're not going to dip it onto AstroTurf or concrete. You're putting it directly into dirt or grass or a gnarly curb. Um, I think the kind of the backside of the track has some, some gnarlier curbs than they have on the front stretch. So if you put a wheel wrong, 
it's going to cost you lap time and it might cost you your entire race. And we've, we saw it with Scott Dixon and the spin to win right at the start of the race in a, an incident that took out, I think nine cars or something like that. Um, it's, it's possible is just, if you make one mistake, it'll compromise your entire race, or maybe it won't if you're Scott Dixon, but not, not everybody's Scott Dixon. So with, with a title fight going on, that's still very much wide open uh, between Alex Pillow and Joseph Newgarden, um, you know, kind of like what we said, I don't think that those two particular drivers are going to be taking a, a whole lot of risks. They're going to try to get through the weekend with as many points as possible, and they're smart enough to do it. But everybody else up and down the grid, this is the second to last race. There's still a lot of other points up for grabs up and down the grid. There's still a crazy number of seats available for next season up and down the grid. So these drivers are going to be racing for a lot more than just a good result. You know, at Portland, they're racing for what does next year look like? Um, you know, what's the point situation going into the final race of the season and how can we maximize that? So there's a, there's a lot on the line up and down the grid in the, at a place like Portland where there's not much runoff all the way around and it's a very high speed track, like you said, with those long straightaways. Uh, it's going to be really fun to watch. And I get to watch it all from turn uno, turn one, right when all the action starts. Is that your favorite uh, spot to be at that track, do you think? I think it will be. When I was there for Formula E, I was watching from the outer line of turn one. But this time Mm -hmm. I'm on the inside of the track at turn one. And I think I have a higher up seat as well. I have to go double check what all of these things on my pass mean. But... I'm really excited to just like, and I also have pit access this time. So <laughs> going to get real close and personal. It's Yay. so cool being in, in the, in the IndyCar pits and just for, for any fans that have been to, you know, let's say a formula one race, you're so far removed normally from what goes on in the paddock and especially on pit lane with IndyCar. If you ever have the opportunity to either, you know, purchase a pit pass for practice and qualifying or get a hot pass for a race or anything like that, absolutely jump on it. You can walk right up to, there's maybe there's maybe 12 feet between pit lane and the actual pit wall. And there's usually kind of another wall or some sort of barrier behind that. And within that space, you know, maybe it's a little bit bigger, maybe it's like 15, 20 feet. But within that space, they have all the tires laid out. There's no tire blankets. <laughs> So you can tell, you know, when pit stops are coming up exactly what the strategy is going to be based on what tires they're getting ready and are laid out. And then as soon as the tires come off the car, uh, you know, even if it's just after a practice session, they just put them right up there kind of on that back wall where they're cleaning them off and checking them out and checking the pressures. And it's really neat to see that whole process up close. And um, they have all the spare parts and wings and everything just sitting right there. Um, you can look up at the top of the pit box and you'll see, uh, you know, um, this weekend, maybe you'll see Zach Brown. I don't know. Maybe he'll be in Monza, but, uh, you can see Zach Brown. You can see Michael Andretti. You can see Chip Ganassi, um, Roger Penske. You can, it's, it's all so accessible. So I'm super jealous that you're going to get to be there. Cause that's going to be so much fun. I'm very excited. Well, we had mentioned Meyer Shank racing earlier and little update on that because, Simon Pagano has been out since mid-July at Mid-Ohio when he had a flippity flip in his car. Like that thing tumbled so many rolls. That was incredible that that car survived and that he's like, yes, he has a concussion and is still recovering, but still, that could have been so much worse. But 
Since that time, people have been jumping in and out of the number 60, but we got confirmation now that Tom Bloomquist is going to be staying in that car for these last two races. And since we last heard from him in Toronto, where he started in 20th and ended in 25th because of a first lap chaos, he's now back for the last two races. He's been confirmed for next year for 2024. So this is really him getting the chance to get comfortable in that car. Because for Toronto, he didn't get time to go in the sim. He was called up like a half a week before going to Toronto, something like that. Handful of days. He had just not a great weekend before he was able to like, he's had yeah, time he, this now, thankfully. He he didn't look as comfortable um, in, in yeah. Toronto as I really thought he, he would have when he races for Ev. He's an absolute ace in sports Acura, and he's very familiar with with Honda engines and HPD. Um, different engines do have you know different feels to them and stuff. And but working with Honda engineers and and in similar, obviously very different equipment from sports cars to Indy cars, there's still a lot of crossover on the engineering side, and he's familiar with with kind of that process. So as far as him stepping in as a racer. I thought that the transition would have been a little more familiar for him. Obviously, going from a, a closed wheel prototype to an open wheel Indy car is is tremendously different, about as different as you can get in the world of racing. But there's still that familiarity of being around Honda engineers. Um, there's still that familiarity of, of being around Meyer Shank, which which run that Acura um, in, in sports cars, in, in IMSA that, that he's won in, uh, plenty of times. So I thought that he would have looked a little more comfortable, but I think it does speak to just how difficult these Indy cars are to drive. And even for somebody like Tom Blomquist, who's so accomplished on, on road courses and endurance racing and, and sports cars overall, stepping into an Indy car really isn't that easy. Um, that being said, we've seen drivers, you know, come over and have success right away uh, in IndyCar from other disciplines. And Scotty McLaughlin is, is really one of those drivers. Um, kind of a similar situation. Uh, he was racing for Team Penske in Australian supercars. They want to bring him to IndyCar. He comes over. Uh, he's fairly strong right off the bat. Um, I mean, even his first race at St. Petersburg, he was extremely quick um, all weekend, and especially in that race. And, uh, you know, here he is, a, a, a multi-time IndyCar race winner, and he'll be competing for championships, I think, very, very soon. That was the trajectory that we were kind of looking at, I think, with Tom Blomquist and I think with with Meyer Shank really thinking, OK, we have an opportunity to kind of do the same thing as a McLaughlin kind of did with Team Penske. Let's try it with Tom. But that first weekend really did not go well. So, uh <laughs> You know, I think that Meyer Shank MSR really wants to see more from him over these last two races, like you said. Um, I think it'll be more of kind of a test session for him, you know, rather than really looking for, you know, top tens and fives or podiums or anything like that. Definitely. Yeah. Toronto was an absolute catastrophe, especially <laughs> oh, that lap one. It was it was a pile up about a quarter of the grid for anybody who did not see it. It was one of the more phenomenal pileups I'd seen in in a long time. But the other switch that we have, the other spot that we're having filled is the number 30 with Yuri Vips coming in. That was sort of a surprise. 
Um, I know that Yuri Vips has tested with RLL uh, previously. He's he's been around their factory uh, plenty of times. He's been in their their shiny brand new simulator, um, so he does have a relationship with the team. Um, but I was surprised that they're you know really going to put him in the car uh, for the last two races. They must really be considering him um, as a very strong option for the thirty for next year. And they already had Connor Daly in that car. And everyone knows what Connor Daly is capable of at this point. He's a great driver. He's consistent. You really kind of know what you're getting with him. But is he somebody that's going to take, you know, that RLL operation to the next level after they just dumped tens of millions into a brand new facility in Indy? Now they need the drivers to kind of step up and carry their weight. Certainly Christian Lungard is. Graham Rahal showed that he's still capable of, of winning races. Um, I think that they're looking at that number 30 car kind of as a weak link. And going into 2024, it absolutely cannot be a weak link any longer. So they're going to say, you know what? We're going to take a 23-year-old uh, F2 winner, uh, former Red Bull junior, um, somebody who is clearly on the Formula One path, and we're going to put him in the car and see what he can do. Um, unfortunately... We're all aware of the controversy surrounding Yuri Vips, and nobody wanted to talk about his driving ability and his really tremendous resume as a junior driver over in Europe. Yeah. Everybody wanted to talk about the backlash from uh, an unfortunate incident online where he made just a, a horrible choice of words. We all know what it was um, when he was gaming online, playing Call of Duty, and just just a hint if you're a young driver or maybe not even young, it doesn't matter if you're Kyle Larson or if you're Yuri Vips or it's happened several other times. Yeah. Don't play call of duty online and stream it. And I mean, it's not only what, what, you know, what you might say if you're just a complete idiot, but it's also what other people might say. It's just not a good environment to put yourself in, but you're dealing yeah. with, you know, a young drivers with a lot of downtime. Um, and I think that, you know, Yuri Vips, he's going to be paying for that mistake for a long, long time. Um, Kyle Larson is still paying for it. Santino Ferrucci uh, had uh, a similar incident um, that he's still paying for it. So IndyCar, the community is is very forgiving, but it's still going to come up. Yuri Vips is always going to be the guy that, that said something that he absolutely shouldn't have during an online stream. And that's going to follow him, I think, really for the rest of his career. But he has a, an opportunity now to really atone for that. He did say that he went to sensitivity training, uh, that he's, he's learned a lot from it. Of course he has. They all say that. Um, the proof is really going to be, you know, in the pudding, I think, next year. Definitely. And especially in racing where so much of it is dependent on what funding you can give. He's going to have to put in that extra effort to show that he's changed and to get confidence out of sponsors because it reflects on a brand who they choose to associate with. And so you got to wonder where's the money going to come from when it comes to him, who is going to be willing to give him a second chance, who's going to be willing to take the time to look and see and listen and determine for themselves, okay, has he changed or how many people are forever going to hold on to that one moment? Thank you, everyone, for listening to this second episode of Gravel Trap Indie. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to follow us on all of the social pages. They are linked somewhere. You'll find them. You're smart people.
Bye. See you next week. Gravel Trap Indie is a production of Gravel Trap Media. Our theme music is by The Pilfers out of New York City. Check them out on Spotify. To connect with us, head on over to graveltrapsocialclub.com where you'll learn about our online esports leagues, our Discord server for socializing with other motorsport fans and podcast listeners, and our Formula One podcast, Gravel Trap F1. 